if you remember last time we started on uh, the the trilogy of shepherd psalms, they start in uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24, and they all deal with a different aspect of of the uh, shepherding of God. The idea, the concept that Scripture lays out for us of the Lord as our shepherd is is not something new. In fact, if you just hold your your finger there in uh, Psalm 23 and flip over to Genesis, that's the first book. It's easy to find. <laughs> Genesis chapter 42. Is it 42 or 48? I might lie to you. 48. Genesis 48, 15. And uh, it says uh, in verse 14 of Genesis 48, Then Israel stretched out his, his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, uh, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph, and he said, So this is, this is Jacob's blessing of his boys. And he said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. In the Hebrew, where it says, the God who has fed me, it's the same word as shepherd. The God who has shepherded me. The God who has led me, guided me, took me from place to place. This is the same section of Scripture where we see that God comes to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who's the other one? So I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So these three guys, the patriarchs of the faith, and as he looks and points to them, he's saying, look, these are the guys. These are the ones that I, that I follow. These are the ones that, that, that the Lord led as a shepherd leads the sheep. So when we come to Psalm 23, it's no surprise. We see here in Psalm 23, the good shepherd that cares for the sheep. We saw in Psalm 22, the the psalm of the cross, the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And in Psalm 24, we see the good shepherd as he returns in glory. We'll, we'll get there in, in just a minute as we work our way through. So, we begin in the 23rd Psalm. We'll see how far we get. The Lord is my shepherd. A lot of stuff. First off, we know, we see capital L-O-R-D. What are we looking at? You guys Remember? Capital L-O-R-D, the proper name of God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, God's name, not the word God, which, which oftentimes is Elohim, can be Adonai at times, uh, but this is proper name, the proper name of God. So we're talking about God Almighty, Yahweh, Yehovah, um, however you want to look at it, God Almighty is our shepherd. So you begin to understand this concept when you look at John chapter 10, if you just hold your place there and look at John chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. And as the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them also I will bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I have received 
from my father. So Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is the shepherd. Jesus, when he was talking to the rich young ruler, everybody remember? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher. You remember what Jesus said? Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. So when Jesus, who defines using the word good in, in comparison to him as a attribute of deity or an attribute of God, then says in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I'm the fulfillment of Psalm 23. I'm the fulfillment of Psalm 22. I'm the fulfillment of Psalm 24. I am the good shepherd. I am the one who's going to meet these needs. And so as we begin again in Psalm 23, <clears throat> the Lord Almighty, God Almighty, is my shepherd. Personal. This is relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. The idea that God Almighty guides and leads and sustains and feeds and cares for me. The Lord is mine. My shepherd. The one guiding and leading. So he speaks to us in, right in the very first line of a relationship with Almighty God as the one who leads and cares and takes care of us. And then in the second phrase, he says, I shall not want. That word for want means there will be no lack. I will have no lack. What was it that the shepherd did for the sheep? Don't lose sight of this. Because he's going to tell us, of the things that we won't lack, he says, you're going to have food, you're going to have water, you're going to have rest. That God gives us what we need. In fact, the psalmist is going to declare that no good good thing will God withhold from you. Now, has anybody ever had God tell no about anything? The Lord said no. I prayed and prayed and prayed for something and God said no. Well, if the Bible tells us that God will withhold no good thing, then whatever you are praying for was not good for you. It may be a good thing. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. Uh, uh, whatever it is, you could be praying for a child. Oh, the Bible tells us that children are always a blessing. But for God's plan and purpose in your life, the child was not a good thing. The key is whether or not we're willing to do what the psalmist is going to declare in Psalm 23 and say, the Lord's my shepherd. I'm following him. So he gives me what I need. And if he doesn't give it to me, I don't need it. To trust that God's purpose in your life will bring about the fulfillment that you're looking for and the fulfillment that you're longing for more than one of God's gifts. Are children a gift from God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we love the gifts of God more than God himself? There's a lot of things that are good and a lot of things that are blessed and a lot of things that we might be happy to possess. But the scripture declares, I will lack nothing that I need. No good thing will God withhold from me. I shall not want. He's talking about satisfaction. What I discover when I'm walking in my flesh and living in my flesh, nothing really satisfies me. I eat the, a big old carne asada burrito over at Juanita's. And I finish it and I think, man, that was so good. What do I want? I want another one. 
And if I could, I would eat another one. I just am not capable. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satiated. But we find that satisfaction when we find that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. When He's our treasure. When that's what we're longing for. That relationship with Him and that which He brings to the table. And when we find our satisfaction in that, for the first time in a lot of our lives, we'll actually know what satisfaction is. I'm satisfied with Him. I'm satisfied with the Lord. There's a lot of things I want. But I'm satisfied with Him. When I go to heaven, that day that I get to heaven, there's a lot of people who are in heaven that I care and love. But the height of heaven is not getting to see them. The height of heaven is getting to see Jesus. He's my shepherd. He's my Lord and Savior. So I find satisfaction in Him, in knowing Him. I shall not want, have no lack. He, now the next one, two, three, four pronouns that we're going to look at in the next two verses are all pronouns talking about God. So you have the psalmist saying, like he's talking to somebody else. Like I'm talking to Don. Hey, the Lord's my shepherd. He does this, and he does this, and he does this. So I'm describing, the psalmist is describing God to us, or to somebody else who's watching. So he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And one of the things we discover about uh, sheep is that sheep don't want to eat if they don't feel safe. If they don't feel safe, they're going to go someplace where they feel safe. That's why they're always getting out, running around, running amok, getting into trouble. That's why sheep are such a great picture, you and I. Because we have a tendency, prone to wander. You guys remember the song? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The idea of a constant... So he says, he, God, gives me a safe place to eat have sustenance i can lay down because i'm not afraid i can lay down because i'm in this green pasture this place where where i have peace and so that sustenance that comes from him and i can i'm able to lay down i'm able to experience that that rest and peace that he has for me simply because he is my shepherd where's the shepherd he's not somewhere else the shepherd is not in twin falls why the sheep are in Castle Fort. That's not a shepherd. Shepherd's with the sheep. So the Lord's my shepherd, man. He makes me lay down because he's with me, because he's here, man, I can lay down. I can find peace. I can find sustenance. I can find the beauty of Psalm 23 is it exalts and extols the majesty of God Almighty to the point where we can find everything we need all that is necessary in our life wrapped up in Him. He is it. The treasure. All I want. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. He takes me to that place of refreshment. He leads me. I always think of a, of a you know, them crystal clear mountain streams. Like when you're out hunting and you're super thirsty and you're out of water. It right, doesn't happen to any of you guys, but us fat people who go hunting, it happens to us because I drink a lot of water while I'm walking around in the hills and, and then I'm out of water and it's like, man, I, I want to, uh, like, I need some water, man. Where's that? 
and you find one of them crystal clear running streams, that water tastes so good. So good. He's talking about refreshment. Now, what's the key to his refreshment? It's not the beauty of the water or the stillness there, this, this, this still stream that he can draw from. It's him. It's God. Not only does he, the Lord, his presence, bring me green pastures, but he leads me. He takes me gently to places of refreshment. But he's with me. Not just me by myself. He's with me. His presence is everything. This is the beauty of the shepherd. And the psalmist declaring, man, God is my shepherd. And Jesus declaring that I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. We just read about it in Psalm 22. And now we see the description of Psalm 23 lived out in the life of Christ. He leads me, gently guides me beside the still waters. Verse 3. He, his presence, God Almighty, restores my soul. Anybody need healing? A lot of times we need healing from physical things. But you know that sometimes the most desired healing is emotional. Emotional healing. for a, we, we, we have hang-ups. No? I don't know. I got hang-ups. I got issues. I know Howard's got some. Careful, I'll call you out too. We have, we have got hang-ups and things that are... are hurts that happened in our life that we are like we need god's healing from and it's through him his presence restores my soul his presence makes me whole again i can look for that wholeness in a lot of other places a lot of places the 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 world is full of people looking to find wholeness in drugs alcohol and relationships in money and wealth and power and all kind of things. But at the end of the day, and all those different roads lead to the same place, a place of regret and desire for restoration. I wish I could be made whole. Nobody laying on their deathbed says, I wish I could have made a couple more bucks. Nobody does that. Nobody. Nobody says, I wish I could have got high one more time or, or got wasted, woke up with my head stuck behind the toilet one more time. I wish I could have done that. Nobody does that. People do have regrets, though, about how they spent their time, their effort. It is God and that relationship with him, him being my shepherd that restores my soul, makes me whole again. The wholeness is found in him. He leads me. In the paths of righteousness. Anybody ever needed guidance before? He leads me. I've made a lot of plans in my life. <laughs> I've made a lot of plans. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And man, when I get to this and when I've done that, then this is going to happen. And I don't know about your plans. Maybe you guys are better planners. But my plans fall flat all the time. Yeah, that didn't work out. Anybody ever make a New Year's resolution that you broke on the second week of January? Yeah, sometimes second day. We have a lot of plans. But it is in the Lord, God Almighty, being our shepherd, the one who leads us. that He leads me to the paths of righteousness. The idea is that he's leading me down the, the paths I need to walk. The paths I want to walk. 
You know what the scripture is going to call? We get to chapter 25. We're going to see in verse 10 that all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Mercy and truth is a unique phrase in the Hebrew. It comes from the word chesed. You got to kind of make that sound when you say it. Otherwise, you're not saying it right. Chesed. It is the equivalent of the Hebrew word agapeo. Agape. Self-sacrificing love. It's called loving kindness in the Old Testament. Mercy and loving kindness. Uh, The idea of of everything, every path of God leads through the journey of God's self-sacrificing love for you. Lead me in the paths of righteousness, the way you walk. I want to walk like you walk. I want, to, I want to follow you, follow your direction, because that relationship with God does that. And He gives me ultimate purpose. What's the purpose? What is, why are we living? Well, the checkbook is a lousy way to keep score, right? Oh, what's the purpose of life? Well, He tells us in that next phrase, for His name's sake. To spend my life finding ways to honor and glorify God is a life well lived. We talked about it. See, we, we use these fancy terms in the church and they lose meaning. We say things like glory and praise and hallelujah and all this stuff and then nobody remembers what that's about anymore. But we, we recognize it in our, in our own lives. And I shared with you before, when somebody does something self-sacrificing for you, man, you want to thank them. You're kind of blown away that somebody cared enough about you to do this thing. Whatever the thing is, whatever the event is. Well, the deal is that God came across spans we can't even begin to imagine and came as a man so that he could die for my brokenness. That thing which separated me from him, he paid the price for that, then to extend to me after his resurrection, this gift. Look, I've done this for you. So you and I, we can have a relationship. So I can be your shepherd. And if you understand the value of the gift that God has given, your desire is to praise and bring glory to what you love. You got a kid? You love your child. You don't want to praise your child? Bring glory to him just because you love him. Tell the good stories, the the joys that they've lived out and, and as you watch them grow. And yeah, we want to do that because we love them. Well, you, are you married? You love your husband or wife? Do you like to praise them and, and glorify them because you love them? Romans 8, 28 says, For we know all things work together for good to those who what? What was that phrase? One more time. To all those who love God. What's the one thing that God said he wants in the, in the, in the scriptures? He says, he says what, what, do we, what do we want to do? What is it that God desires for me relationally? That you would love the Lord your God. How much? A part of your heart? A piece? Just a corner? Yeah, he wants it all, right? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart all your strength all your mind that you would love him well where does that love spring from the understanding of what god has done for you 
If you know what God has done for you, you cherish him. If you don't, he doesn't mean anything to you. We can sing songs about him and play music that's either lame or cool, depending on, on where you're at in life. And, and we can do all this stuff about God. But it doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know what God has done for you. You don't love your parents because you don't know what they've done for you. You don't love your family or your friends because you, you, don't, you begin to detest who they are. But the reality is that you know who God is and what God has done. The natural response is love. Because he first loved us. And when somebody loves you extravagantly, just think about it. Someone loves you extravagantly, holds nothing back, gives every good thing for you. Then your response in recognizing that is to love God. Relational. He gives me purpose. My purpose is to glorify and love the Lord God Almighty with everything within me. That's my purpose. To glorify Him. To give Him praise and honor and glory for what He's done for me. I could spend forever doing that. And still fall short of equaling the gift He gave me. And if you don't understand that gift, then the issue is you don't understand your own brokenness. If you don't understand your own brokenness, what do you need a Savior for? And if you don't need a Savior, then what good is someone coming and dying for you? You didn't care. I didn't need that. And it all stems from having a right understanding of who I am. We can lie to ourselves all we want, right? But you're left alone at night and you consider your life, you know who you are. And you know what you need. And God meets that need for His name's sake. And in verse 4, everything in the psalm changes. At the beginning, I was sitting there talking to Don about, about the Lord and I'm describing God to him. But, it, but when I come to verse 4, everything gets personal. Why did it all get personal? Because it got hard. What is the special thing about verse 4? Yea, though I walk through what? The valley of the shadow of death. Anybody ever been through hard times? Oh, it gets personal. Your relationship with God gets real personal then. Real personal. And for the psalmist, look what he declares. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for... What pronoun did he use? You. Who's he talking to now? God. So now, no longer am I looking at Don telling him, describing God to him. Now I'm looking at God. Because I know he was there. Here's our issue. We don't like the valley of the shadow of death. And a lot of times our journey through the valley of the shadow of death leads to bitterness, anger, frustration toward God because He led us there. You know that's what the psalmist says, right? You lead me. You guide me. 
And then he says, yea, though I... So it's a guarantee. Nobody gets through life without walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Nobody. And one of the common things we can see in a Christian experience is that we have gone through dark, hard, difficult times. Every one of us does. And that dark, hard, difficult time is going to lead us one of two places. Either it's going to lead us to the place of bitterness and anger and frustration toward God for leading us there. Or it's going to take us to the place where we recognize God's presence and strength that carried us through the journey. There's no journey of life where you get to skip that valley. Nobody gets to skip it. You have to walk through it. Because God learned something. Well, God doesn't really learn anything. Let's say it this, this way. God understands something about our character. That we come to our best of what we can be when we are in the furnace of affliction. That's when we shine. When everything's good, we get complacent and lazy and, 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 and we get, get a lot of, start living a lot of slack in our lives. But when we are in the furnace, Man, we want God more than anything else. You got a relationship with Him, you're reaching out for Him in those times. You're reaching out to Him for deliverance, you're reaching out for Him to to spare us, all those things. And none of those things God ever promises. What He does promise is that even though you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to be afraid because I'm going to be with you. You remember them three Hebrew youths, right? Youths. Yeah, Rackshack and Benny. Unless you don't have veggie tails. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. It's their Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had the most powerful man in all the universe call them out. Teenagers. Three teenage kids. All you got to do is bow. It's a big deal. Look, if you don't value your relationship with God much, what's a big deal? Bow. Who cares? But if you value, if that's the most treasured possession you have, it becomes a big deal. So it's such a big deal that, that three kids look up to the most powerful guy in, in the universe at the time and say no. And they do it respectfully. Oh, king, live forever. We hope you prosper. But let it be known. We're not bowing to your image. And the king looks at them and says, what do you mean, O king, live forever? You're not going to do what I say. That doesn't work. It's a Jackie paraphrase, but you get the idea. He looks at him and he says, look, who can save you from my hands? Don't you know I can throw you in a furnace? Bow before the image. When the music starts, I'll give you one more chance. And those guys respond again. O king, live forever. Hope you have a great reign. Our God is able to deliver us from your hands. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow. You catch that phrase, right? If I'm only following God for the purpose of having an easy life, a good life, good things happening in my life, I am going to be a disappointed Christian. Because bad things happen to good people. You watch the news, it happens all the time. Bad things happen to good people because this is a fallen world and in this world, evil reigns. 
Evil reigns because mankind shouted out to God and said, we won't have you rule over us. God is not king. God is sovereign. He is not king here. That's what the book of Revelation is about. What happens in the book of Revelation? Jesus comes back. And what do they call him? King. Then everything changes. But until that time, God owns the world, but he hasn't taken possession of the world. The world is fallen and broken and spinning out of control. And God knows that in that state, more people will call out to him than if he took all that away. People ask this question, how can a good God allow evil? My question is, how can you define that as evil? If in the midst of that, they call upon his name and are saved, that's not evil. If a child who goes through a horrific event in their life cries out to the God who saves and the child loses his life here but finds salvation in the presence of God forever, that's not evil. That's good. We just can't understand it. And we're so sure that we are the beginning and ending of all knowledge that there couldn't possibly be some kind of wisdom outside of our ability to understand circumstances. So we look at horrible tragedies. We see, we see a, a tsunami that wipes out 100,000 people. And all we can see is that's evil. But we don't really have the capability of understanding good and evil. That's how this whole thing started in the first place, didn't it? That, you remember that snake sitting under the tree saying, surely you want to have the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. How good a job are we doing so far? 6,000 years of human history. Do we got good and evil figured out? Everybody knows what's good and what's right and what's wrong, and we're all doing it, right? Yeah, so don't buy the lie that we ate the fruit, and we, so now we know good and evil. Yeah, we don't. We ate the fruit and we got kicked out of the garden, but we don't know what in the world we're doing. When God's king, we know. We got to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't have to be afraid. God's with us. Who was in the fire with Rakshak and Benny? When they come back to never, I love the story because there's a lot of questions in this story. You think about them with me. Nebuchadnezzar says, heat up the fire seven times hotter. So the, higher, the, the fire gets real hot, right? Everybody with me? In fact, it's so hot that when the guards go to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, they die. So how do they get in? You get all the way to the fire. I don't know how close they're getting, but at some point between where they are and where they need to be, the guards die. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're fine. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they're okay. In fact, the, the ropes burn off. But they're not burnt. And the guy comes back to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar wants to report, what's going on with them dudes we threw in the fire? Well, they're like, they're, they're walking around in the fire. What? Yeah, and there's another one with them. And he looks like the Son of God. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think the words they said to Nebuchadnezzar come back to his ears about that time? Uh, o king, live forever. 
Our God is able to deliver us from your hands, but even if he don't, we're not going to bow. So he says, get, get, get them guys out of the fire. God was with them. You don't go through... If you're in the middle of an island when a tsunami hits, God's right beside you. He's whispering in your ear. He's telling you he loves you. He's saying, I'm sorry that this world is all screwed up. But I got kicked out of here a long time ago. It's your world now. I'm just here to try to redeem what I can. If you allow me, But if you don't allow me, this world is spinning out of control. And one day he comes back. Bible says he puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split down the middle. And he's going to take ownership. And the Bible says that when that Mount of Olives splits down the middle, there's going to be a river of life that, that starts to run through it. And it's going to heal the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. But the life in that water is going to heal. It's going to heal the world. Yeah, we we don't have no idea what we're doing in this world right now. But God knows. We are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. All of us. But he's with us. You are with me. And then it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Anybody ever been comforted by a rod? Oh, come on. When your mom and dad applied the, the rod of understanding to the seat of learning? No? That never happened to none of you guys? Man, I must have grew up with child abusers. because My parents had tanned my backside with one of those. They even put Bible verses on them. Yeah. The father who loves his child disciplines him promptly. I wasn't too fond of that one. Spare the rod. Yeah, there's lots of them, ain't there? Oh, God doesn't want you to do that. Are you kidding me? The Lord wants you to whoop the butt of them to drive out rebellion. Or you can ignore it and hope rebellion takes care of itself. But he says, the father who loves his children disciplines his children. Does, does the Bible tell us God loves us? In Hebrews, does it say, don't despise the chastening of your father? Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he loves. Man, that's... God loves, he disciplines. Anybody ever felt the discipline of God? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid because God's with me. His rod comforts me. If I get off track, if my desire is to follow the Lord and I get off track, is God going to get me back on track? Anybody ever felt the two by four of the Lord? You know it. Anybody who's grinning has, yep, I got that one. Somebody might say, I got a two by six. Whatever it takes. The stick keeps getting bigger. Until the direction changes. Oh, Jackie, that's not love. Are you kidding me? Would it have been more loving for God to allow me to continue 
in my hedonistic lifestyle destroy my family, my wife and my children? Or was it more loving for him to give me HIV? And how big a stick is that? Which one's more loving? Well, all I know is through HIV, I got my wife back and my children back. My family, I got another chance. Everybody don't get that. I'll take the two by four. That's way more loving. Straightening my choices. The rod is a rod of correction. And the staff is a staff of guidance. The staff, yeah, he used the staff to guide the sheep. You guys have seen shepherds do that before. Got that walking stick, just tap that sheep on the back end, it move over this way, tap it, get over this way, no, not over there. It's, we're following this path. Guidance and correction. Does that comfort you? Because it should. It should. When we are rebellious, it doesn't comfort us. When we just want to fight against it just because, well, I ought to, let me help you out. There's this guy, the, 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 the book's talking about a little bit earlier. His name was Jacob. Everybody remember Jacob? Jacob, uh, whose name means deceiver, supplanter, a uh, guy who wants to do things his own way. The Bible tells he wrestled with God. You guys know the story? Jacob is, is facing his brother Esau's coming. And he's pretty sure Esau's been mad at me for like 10 years or 15 years. That's a long time to stew. He's, he's going to kill me, my people, my family. So he divides his family. Many, many, many of you may not know this. He divides his family. He takes the wife that he loves and her children and puts them over here. And the wife that he despises and her children and puts them over there. He's, he's trying to protect the one he loves. And hopefully it goes through that other wife of mine before it gets to them. And he sends a bunch of gifts and presents and stuff. He's got lots of plans on how he's going to straighten. He's in the valley of the shadow of death, but he's got his own way to get through this. He's made all his plans, divided everybody where he can put them. Night before Esau gets to him, it says, And Jacob wrestled with a man all night long. Who's the man? Guaranteed. That is Jesus. How do I know that? God's spirit. The Father is spirit. No man has seen God at any time. Nobody. If they saw God, which we see a number of times in the Old Testament where they see God, the scriptures in the in the Gospels declare to us, the only one who sees God is the one who sees Jesus. He is God in the flesh. So when it says Jacob wrestled with the man, yeah. He's wrestling with the Lord. And the word says he prevails. And people trip over that. Oh, he he was beating him. That's not what he means. Prevails means that dude would not stop fighting against what God wanted. Do you ever live like that? I'm not going to. I don't care what God wants. I'm not going to do it. I'll fight with this dude all night long. So, God knows where the button is. 
that will bring you to your knees. And he's not afraid to push it. His rod and his staff, they come for me. Because God loved me enough to push that button all those years ago. To look at a wife seven months pregnant and have to tell her, I have HIV. You don't think that humbles you? Why don't you try it? God reached out to Jacob and touched him. Touched his hip. And the muscle shriveled. And he was lame the rest of his life. Do you know the Bible says that Jacob was a strong dude? When Jacob found Laban, his uncle. Remember Jacob went to Laban, his uncle, uh, to, to look for a place to stay so Esau couldn't kill him? And, he, and, he, and the, uh, what's her name? Rachel comes down with the sheep. You remember? You know what? The, you look at it. See what the Bible says. The Bible says they waited till all the shepherds got there with all their flocks and they all took the rock off the well so that they could water the sheep. And Jacob seen Rachel and was like, dude, she is so amazing. Yeah, I'm not waiting for all these people. I'm taking that rock off myself. So he went and took the rock off. You don't think Jacob and Esau were twins. It wasn't like one was spindly and whiny and snibbly and the other one was buff hunter guy. They're twins. The only way you could tell them apart was Esau had more hair on him than Jacob did. Jacob was a powerful man. God took away all his strength. One touch. Jake, you can't fight now. You can't protect your family. You can't raise up an arm. You can't hope to get your brother before he's able to get to all your kids. You're not going to be able to do it. You know, what, you know what Jacob did then? Read the story. He grabbed the hold of God and said, I won't let go till you bless me. And that moment, God changed his name. You're not Jacob no more. Now you're Israel. Oh, you're clinging to God. You're clinging to me. You're Israel. Yeah, his rod and his staff comfort. He brings about great and awesome things with his rod and his staff. Well, he goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yeah, he prepared everything for Jacob. Jacob made all his plans, but do you remember what happened when Esau got there? The big crazy fight. You guys remember the story? You know where Esau said, man, Jacob, I've been missing you. I know we, we, we had a lot of problems when we was kids, but man, I just, I just want to say, hey. And Jacob's like, you're kidding me, man. I just sent you like $300,000 worth of sheep and goats to calm you down before you got here and you were okay. Can I have all those back? Nope, they're mine now, man. (laughs) Look, the Lord prepared a table before him in the presence of his enemies. God knew what he was doing. 
God knows what he's doing then. He knows what he's doing now. You anoint my head with oil. In the Bible, what does oil speak of? The power of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. So when it says he, who is the giver of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Jesus Christ specifically said, I go away, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. When he says, a father knows how to give good gifts to his children who ask, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to he who asks? We ask. Jesus is the baptizer, the poor. He's the one who anoints the head. And you know what the picture is in the Bible of the anointing of the head, right? It's not like we do in church today. I put a little oil on my finger and rub it on somebody's head. Dude, you get the whole bottle. Glug, 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 glug. When they anointed, they poured the oil out. It ran on your head, down your beard, because they all had beards in it ran down your beard. In fact, in the Psalms, when he declares about how, 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 uh, how good it is for dr- brethren to dwell to- together in unity, it's like the oil running off of Aaron's beard. They're like, that's good. See all that oil, the picture of the Holy Spirit. He anoints my head with oil. Everything that we need, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life, comes from him. My cup runs over. That's called abundance. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundant. If that's not our experience, God in there, God is, is right where he's supposed to be. Where are you? I have come to give you life. Life more abundant. Abundant. Unstoppable. Unquenchable. Unquittable. Perfect example of abundant life is Paul the Apostle. You ever read what he went through in his life? How many times he was beaten? How many times they tried to kill him? How many times they threw him in prison? How many times he was shipwrecked? On and on and on he goes. But he's like a weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. He does not quit. How do they stop him? The, the only way they could stop him was to cut his head off. Anything short of that didn't stop him. They stoned him and left him for dead. And he got up and walked back into the same town that just stoned him. And when he came walking back into the same town that stoned him, Timothy got saved. That's crazy. Yeah, he couldn't stop him. That's abundant life. He's not talking about filling your pockets with gold. He's talking about making you unstoppable. That's amazing. My cup runs over. Abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I always think of this verse as your wake. You know like when you get in a boat and you're going across a lake and you look behind you, there's the wake behind you, the the marks that you leave as you pass through life. So here's what he's saying. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's in your wake? What do you leave behind when you go through a room? Goodness and mercy? Love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you leave behind the footprints of Jesus? Because we're following Him, right? So if we're following Him, man, we're following His path. His way, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's what's in my wake. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will dwell. You have a place where you belong. With all your screwed up deals, 
all your weirdness, all your frailties, all your brokenness, all your problems, you have a place you belong. God says you belong in my house. The psalmist says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's my home. I have a place. And I have it for how long? Forever. So if God can say to you, you have it forever. Man, that's a pretty good statement, isn't it? That's something we can cling to and hold to. Man, I got that. I got a place God has for me forever. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. Pretty cool, huh? We'll look at 24 because it's only like 10 verses. We'll make it. I won't go so long. I promise. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Okay, I'm lying already. The earth is the Lord's in all all its fullness. Think about that. (laughs) Okay, maybe we won't get through 24. The earth is the Lord's. In all its fullness. The word all its fullness means everything on earth belongs to God. So I just want you to consider that concept because it really helps open our eyes to to a lot of things spiritually. For example, uh, if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, you don't own anything. You don't own a house. You don't own a car. You don't own the stuff in your pocket. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, everything. And just in case we're, we're, we've, we're not sure what's involved in the everything, we got the next part. The world and those who dwell therein. Oh, oh. You understand the ramifications? That means your kids aren't yours. They're not yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And everyone who lives on it. So unless your kids live in Mars, then they don't belong to the Lord. But as long as they live here, they belong to Him. So what's that make you and I? That's right. You and I are stewards. What is a steward? A manager. Responsible to the owner for how we take care of His stuff. How we take care of His money. Not yours. How we take care of his house. Not yours. How we take care of his kids. Not yours. The earth is the Lord's. It's all his. This is the glory, the return of the glory of the good shepherd. That he's coming back. That he is king of kings. And Psalm 24 is a psalm that was sung. You guys remember the story when David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? Remember the first time he tries to do it and he puts it on a, on a cart and, and it, it starts to fall over and uh, Yuza reaches out to touch it and he touches the ark and dies because they're trying to do something good, but they're not doing it God's way. They're doing it their own way. So, so Yuza dies and David freaks out. And so he waits a long time until he actually spends some time reading the word and goes, oh, look, we're supposed to carry it. If we were carrying it between the Levites, then, then it wouldn't fall. So he goes and gets the ark and he's bringing the ark in and like every six steps he has an offering, right? That's a lot of offerings between where he's going or where he starts and where he's going. And then he, he brings the ark and as they're bringing the ark in, they're singing over and over again Psalm 
24. That's all His. This is all the Lord's. The, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. He founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. So He founded it. That means He made it and He established it. That means He stands it out. He, he, he gives it a foundation, a way to stand. So He creates it and He controls it. It's all His. All the earth. So who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? Both those phrases, ascend and stand, are words of worship. The idea is that we're worshipers experiencing His grace and God's redemption. And they're excited because they're bringing God's ark back into Jerusalem. The presence of God is once again going to be in their midst. And they're stoked about the presence of God being in their midst. And they're saying, it's all His. This hill's His. Everywhere we are is His. And we just want to worship Him. We just want to glorify God for what He has done for us and through us. So they describe, who is it that can come up this hill? Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's righteous conduct and godly character. Who has not lifted up his soul. The idea of lifting up your soul is to trust. So he who has not trusted in an idol. So he says, clean hands, righteous conduct, pure heart, godly character, and one who doesn't trust in vanity, something that's worthless or empty, like an idol. Wow. Nor have they sworn deceitfully, nor have there been deception in their life. Do you get the point? Let me clarify it for you. Nobody can come up his hill. Oh, yeah, Jackie, I can, because I'm a righteous. Yeah, through Jesus Christ, you're righteous. Apart from him, you ain't righteous. Well, but I have a godly character. <laughs> Whatever. So you might be able to sell that to somebody else, but you're not selling that to me. Oh, I, I never trust in something empty. Really. I've never told a lie. <laughs> Just in case you made it through the first three, the last one, I never sworn deceitfully. Are you serious? So who can ascend? Who can come to the presence of Almighty God? Yeah. You have to meet all these requirements. How do we meet all these requirements? How do we meet them? In Him, by His redemption, through His grace. How did David meet him? David, a man after God's own heart, whose most famous event was Bathsheba, right? How is David called a man after God's own heart? Because of God's grace and mercy. What about Abraham? Abraham, what, what a good and holy guy, Abraham, right? He never lied. He never said his wife was a sister twice, and, and some king almost slept with her. God had to give him a dream in the middle of the night to stop him. Oh, or, or Isaac, he did the same thing Abraham did. And then he was told by God to bless his son Jacob. And who was he going to bless? You know the story. Jacob had to lie to his dad to, to act like Esau because dad was going to bless Esau. Even though God said, bless Jacob. And Jacob, who was a big liar and a conniver all his life. These are the three main characters who God calls his. What is he establishing? The brokenness of men. Mankind is broke. God fixes us. 
A relationship with God fixes our brokenness. So we can't come up of our own self. What's it say? He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Don't miss that. Where did blessing come? From your goodness? He said, you shall receive blessing from who? The Lord. So God gives you blessing. And righteousness. Where's your righteousness come from? And righteousness from the God of his salvation. So where's your goodness and righteousness and all the requirements that are necessary for you to come before Almighty God? Where they come from? God. He gives them to you. We receive them by faith. This is Jacob. Uh, Just in case you were wondering if God wasn't sure who you are, he calls you Jacob. This is Jacob. This is the deceiver. The generation of those who seek him. Yeah, because Jacob was so holy, right? No, Jacob was a broken man who understood his brokenness and still wanted that relationship with God. He desired that relationship with God, understanding his brokenness. He clung to God and said, I'm not letting go till you bless me. You're everything. I need you. I can't do this without you. But he knew who he was. I'm broke. I'm Jacob. So God says, man, this is Jacob. God was never ashamed to be called the God of Jacob, was he? He he doesn't say, I'm the God of Israel. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm not ashamed of Jacob. I'm not ashamed of Isaac. I'm not ashamed of Abraham. And then he would say to you and I, so don't be ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed of you. He gives us everything we need so that we can have a relationship with Him. For those who seek Him, who seek His face, that phrase, who seek His face, have, have a desire to be in God's presence. That's the key. You got a desire to be in God's presence? Awesome. You don't? You're going to get what you want. Desire to be in God's presence. So then they say, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of Glory will come in. You see, the, the ark is coming in, and, and the king standing in front, dancing like a crazy guy. Remember, Michael's wife was all bummed because how he was dancing. He's dancing, he comes up to the gates of the city, and he says, yeah, open up them gates. The King of Glory's coming. The King of Glory's coming in the gates. And then the people would respond, Who is this King of Glory? And David would shout back, The Lord, that's Yahweh, by the way, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. You see that phrase, mighty in battle? A a better definition of mighty in battle is the phrase, mighty warrior. He's our mighty warrior. Strong and mighty. So he shouts again, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up the everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. And they shout out, Who is this King of glory? And David would shout, The Lord of Sabaoth. The Lord of the angel armies. Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of the innumerable army of angels. He is the King of glory. See, Psalm 23 talks about God caring for us. Psalm 22 talks about God loving us so much He died for us. Psalm 24 
says one day he's coming back the king of glory is going to make everything right 